So we're going to pray this morning before we begin our Torah study. Would you pray with me? Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who, sa- <clears throat> who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. This week we're remembering Kristallnacht. This is the 85th anniversary of that terrible Nazi-led night of broken glass in Germany, Austria, and the nearby countries when 267 synagogues were destroyed and 7,000 Jewish businesses were damaged or destroyed and the broken glass from that destruction gave name to Kristallnacht, which means in German, the broken glass. Hundreds of Jews were murdered. 30,000 Jewish men were arrested and incarcerated in concentration camps. And this week in Berlin, the slogan in German, never again is now was projected onto the Brandenburg Gate in Berlin as an act of solidarity with Israel, not just remembering what has happened, but remembering what is happening with the massacre of Hamas and all that is going on. So as we remember the horrors of Kristallnacht, we remember it was the beginning of even greater horrors. And so we stand together against the Nazi-like terrorism of Hamas in these days. And we don't wait for things to get worse, we stand up now. And we remember those who have already lost their lives because of Hamas. We remember those in Israel who are in mourning. We remember those who were murdered and those who have been kidnapped and are held hostage in Gaza. In Israel, IDF soldiers are gathering together in many different places in many different ways and turning to God in prayer. And you can watch several examples of that on last night's live stream message on Facebook and YouTube. The video of that incorporates a number of these examples all over Israel and throughout the IDF, wherever they are right now, in this war against Hamas. Soldiers are gathering together, singing the Shema, turning to the Lord, crying out to God as they're putting their lives on the line. They're coming before God in humility, and it's an honorable thing for that. And so I encourage you to look at the YouTube or the Facebook video from last night, and you'll see a number of examples, uh, just three examples that are mighty and I think very useful. And let's pray to the Lord right now. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to the people of Israel, and we pray for all those in the IDF who are defending our people in the state of Israel. Grant them success and protect them from danger, Lord. Protect them from harm. Give them wisdom. And thank you for opening up the hearts of so many during this important time. We pray for those who have been taken hostage, that you would deliver them from their captors and bring freedom to those who are being held in captivity. We pray for your comfort, Lord. We ask for healing, 
comfort and consolation for those in mourning in the name of Yeshua. Amen. I also want to make you aware of a really a developing situation throughout the United States and elsewhere, but I'll focus on the United States, where college campuses and even high schools and some grade schools are becoming hostile, outwardly hostile to students on campus. There was a report in the Wall Street Journal this week, a commentary that was written by two Yale University students, and the headline of it was this, Jewish students meet hostility at Yale, and it was described this way, a university-backed event promotes denial and justification of Hamas's atrocities. So the event had broad support from different academic departments in Yale. The article describes in detail how the event featured many speeches that were filled with lies and with denials and with incitement. You can read the article on the Beth Israel Facebook page or my personal Facebook page. I've, I've posted it up there, but I want to read a few sentences. In the past month, Yale has become a hostile environment for Jewish students. And then from the concluding paragraph, after the speeches ended on Monday, we entered the hall, our stomachs dropped at the sight of nearly 200 fellow students, some of whom we had regarded as friends, along with professors we had looked up to in esteem. We asked the moderator and two of the speakers if they were willing to denounce Hamas unequivocally. All three turned their backs on us. So has our university. Sadly, I've heard reports from students in different parts of the country who have experienced anti-Semitic or anti-Israel hostilities and insults and abuses at their schools. I'm personally aware of a number of college and high school students who have experienced such hostility in the last couple weeks. Thank you. A little water to help me? I actually have some, I just haven't stopped to drink it. I need to. Actually, a cup of hot tea would be delightful, but that's when I'm at home. The situation is, is so serious that a group has developed to stand up against Jewish hatred. And there is a symbol, it's a blue square standing against Jewish hate that many people will be wearing in the days and the weeks to come. And I've got some on order, I'll have, I'll have some as well. You're familiar with the blue ribbons for Israel. We have those here in the synagogue. You can pick some up if you haven't already. I think it's really useful at this time to stand up in, in any way that you can and to express solidarity with Israel. It's an opportunity for you to, to show others that you have courage and you have a love for the Jewish people. And I, I think it's really important as well 
to touch base with Jewish students of all ages and to see how are they doing, how are they uh, experiencing campus life in these days. Many have never encountered these kinds of hostilities. They're not familiar with it, and they are um, they're quite troubled, as you can imagine. I also want to take a moment to thank everyone who has written us or texted or emailed or spoken to us and expressed solidarity and concern and support. It makes a difference. I've talked to, to many Jewish people in many different places, and one of the things that is touching and important is just to know that other people are concerned. And even if you don't know what to say, folks, check in and ask and see how people are doing. And better to say something than to do nothing. And that's why there's a meme out there that says, if you ever wondered what you would do in the 1930s and the 1940s, it's what you're doing right now. That's what you're doing. So I would encourage you, be strong, stand up and be courageous and do anything that's decent and honorable, if that makes sense. And I wanna to talk to you about how we might prepare ourselves because I believe that this is a, a time when we need to have some understandings that help us respond to difficult questions or even to uh, bad information and bad ideas that people have. So moving forward with a Kadima attitude at a time like this means that we keep faith with God and with God's promises, and that also means that we need to know when to act and when to wait. And I want to take our remaining time to look at the life of Abraham and Sarah and learn from their experience, because the readings for this time, this week, and the weeks leading up to this, I think are remarkably timely in preparing us to face some of the challenges we have in these days. So I want to do some review by turning to Genesis 12 and reviewing some recent readings and to look carefully at the first two verses in Genesis chapter 12 and pay attention to the question, who has to act, Abraham or the Lord? So this is sort of like a pop quiz, but it's an open book pop quiz. And it's actually a very easy thing to recognize if you just read slowly and carefully. Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Lech lecha, get yourself up and go out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great. Be a blessing get yourself up and go out. How do you say that in Hebrew? Altogether? That wasn't altogether. That was a handful. Lech lecha. Say it with me. Lech lecha. Who must do the acting? It's very simple. The Lord says to Abraham, Lech lecha, you get up. 
you got to get yourself up. So then God says, I will make you a great nation. And who is going to act? The Lord. It's not just you will become a great nation. The Lord says, I will make you a great nation. Right before that, the Lord said, you go to a land that I will show you. So that's an interesting one because there are two parts to that. Abraham has to do something and the Lord has to do something. Abraham doesn't know the destination, the Lord does. But Abraham has to get up and he has to go out, he has to be moving so that he can go and he can be directed. So that's an interesting combination. And then to continue, the Lord says, I will bless you. So who's doing the blessing there? The Lord. The Lord says, I will bless you. It's not that the Lord says to Abraham, you do this and you'll have many blessings. The Lord says, I will bless you. And then the passage says, I will make your name great. So who's going to do this? I heard people on this side and people on that side. I couldn't hear one of you in the middle. The Lord, yeah. Come on, get together. <laughs> Open your mouths and say something. The Lord doesn't say your name will be great. The Lord says, I will make your name great. And then, many English translations do not accurately translate the next phrase from the Hebrew. The Hebrew is quite clear. Many English translations say, and you will be a blessing. How many of you have that in your English Bibles? Mark through it. This is one time when it's good to write in your Bible and to fix it, because it doesn't say, you will be a blessing. And even the word shall doesn't capture it because people in America today don't know what shall means. And it's like a synonym for many people uh, for will, as if it will just happen. It's a future tense. However, the Hebrew is very explicit. It's saying something that could be translated this way. Be a blessing. An older translation in English says, be thou a blessing because the command is to Abraham. And so when we ask the question, who must act, it's Abraham. Abraham needs to act in a way that is a blessing to others. So the Lord says, lech lecha, you get up, and then the Lord says, you go, and I'll show you the land to go to. That's joint effort. And then after that, all the blessings that are described follow after the instruction for Abraham to get himself up and out. And that is the way that many blessings from God actually work. They're held in escrow until we act faithfully according to the Lord's instruction and then when we do, God releases them to us in his perfect timing and his perfect way. So notice this. 
that some of the promises require that Abraham takes human initiative in action, and some are God's alone to fulfill. So this helps us recognize uh, attention because there are two traps. One trap says it's all up to God. And you know what that also means? I'm not going to do nothing. I'm not doing anything. And sometimes that's even hidden in a super spirituality. If someone does something that is good and it produces good results, and you thank them and they say, well, it was the Lord. Um, and there is an element of truth to that, but it, it misses something when it becomes a super spirituality that says, well, really, God did everything. But God doesn't do everything. Somebody put it this way, God makes trees, you've got to make a table. So there's an extreme that says it's all up to God, and there's another extreme that says it's all up to me. God's going to do nothing, I'm going to do everything. And my advice to you is those are traps. Stay out of those traps. If, if you recognize those are extremes, then you can avoid the extremes. One of the mindsets that leads people to go into this extreme way is they think there's one way to respond to every kind of situation. And so they pick one spiritual path, but God doesn't work that way. He has many ways that require an interesting combination of will, initiative, God's leadership versus our initiative. And so there's a challenge. There are promises from God that are not so clear, and we have to sort through when we need to wait on God and for Him to act and when we need to act. Have any of you ever been in that situation where you weren't sure? What what you should do. Should you do something or should you wait for God to do something? In fact, sometimes we are tempted to act when we need to wait, and sometimes we are tempted to wait when we need to act. I call that the not ready syndrome. Not ready to wait when we do need to wait, and not ready to act when we do need to act. The scripture tells us stories of when Israel was told to do something and didn't comply, and then the Lord said, it's not going to go well, and then everyone said, okay, well, then we'll do it, after a while. And the Lord said, too late. Don't do it. And they said, no, 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 we're going to do it, and they do it anyway, and then it doesn't go well. And so that's an example of doing the wrong thing in both directions. In any case, knowing when to wait and when to act is one of the great challenges that comes with the life of faith. And I can tell you this, you can't just trust your personality type to guide you in this, because some personalities are more cautious, and some are more daring. Some people have a different appetite for risk. But all of us will face situations where we need to be cautious and other situations where we need to be more 
daring. So it's good to know your personality type. If you're not sure, ask someone what you're like. They may not know technical words, but they can describe you. It's important to do this so that you can recognize your natural tendencies and factor that in and know what will bring some balance to you. I had an experience where I felt a sense of urgency that I needed to do something, and I thought I knew it was an important thing. And so I prayed and I planned what I was going to do in order to take care of this matter. And then I had a thought after that, before I acted, I thought, I'm going to talk to my wife, Sandy, and ask her what she thinks. And so I, I asked her, and here's what was interesting. She had wisdom that I did not have about how to act, when to act, and what to do and what not to do. And so as a result of that, I took her counsel, and I felt a sense of urgency. I did what was necessary, but you know what was necessary? It took a year's worth of careful effort. I just wanted to do something and get it done. How many of you can relate to that? Let's just get it done. And sometimes that doesn't do it. This was the case for me. So it, it's not bad to have someone you can talk to. Back to Abraham. Remember two promises God gave Abraham to be a father and to have land. And they're confirmed in Genesis 15, where it says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, don't be afraid of Ram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Avram said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And then Avram said, look, <laughs> that's an interesting thing to say to the Lord. Look, Lord, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. So Abraham is talking very clearly, and he's holding on to the promise, but he's honestly saying nothing has yet happened to visibly fulfill the promise and so what does he do? Pay attention to this. He talks to God. And he talks with God about what's really on his heart. He's thinking, he's feeling, and he's fellowshipping with the Lord in a very deep and an honest way. And it's important to recognize that that fellowship with God includes asking God questions. You're going to hear me say this over and over again in these days because it's so important. And I'm going to label the questions that I'm talking about questions of faith or a question of faith. And I mean it in a clever way because these are actually connected to our faith and our trust in God. They're good questions. And sometimes they're expressed as Abraham did as a question. Sometimes they're expressed as a statement. He made both. And I think when Abraham talks to the Lord, the Lord responds as if he's saying to Abraham, that's a good question. Or you're raising a good point, Abraham, or even excellent point. Because these good questions are directed to God, they're so useful. They were useful for Abraham. They're highly valued in the Jewish world. 
and they are useful for us. They are not useful for people who believe in blind faith, faith that asks no questions. The Jewish people aren't inclined to that. We're filled with questions. Let's follow the text, verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one, Eliezer, shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And then the Lord brought Abraham outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And the Lord said to Abraham, So shall your descendants be. So God confirms the promise and he says, You will have a son. And you'll have countless descendants. So that means your son will have children as well, and so on. And verse 6 says, Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord accounted it to him for righteousness. That is such a great example. Believe God. You can say it really simple and straight. I believe you, God. Sometimes when, when I don't know what's going on, I go to the Lord and say, Lord, my eyes are on you. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to understand this situation, but I trust in you. I believe you, God. And so I want to encourage you, trust God, and don't let the waiting time take the faith out of you. Verse 7, And then the Lord said to Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to inherit it. And so the Lord says, I brought you out for a purpose. He had a clear promise, I'm going to give you this land to inherit it. Verse 8, and he said, this is Abraham's response, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? That's another example of a good question, a question of faith. He asked the Lord this honest question. It's not the question of unbelief. It's a question of faith. Some people don't know the difference. Some people have never expressed a question of faith to the Lord. Faith keeps trusting and keeps asking in prayer. Faith keeps trusting the Lord and keeps asking the Lord and keeps asking questions to the Lord. Unbelief is different. Unbelief does not trust the Lord. Unbelief often silences your dialogue with the Lord. Unbelief may cause you to ask questions of other people, but not of the Lord. To ask the air, the atmosphere, what's going on? But not to ask the Lord. Sometimes if you direct your questions to the Lord, you'll get an answer. If you talk to the clouds, you'll get nothing. Let's keep going through the story. So eventually, Sarah has the idea that her servant, Hagar, should be her surrogate and will conceive a child for her with Abraham. Abraham agrees with the plan, and indeed Hagar gets pregnant, she gives birth to whom? Ishmael. Notice one thing, neither Abraham or Sarah ever confirms this plan with the Lord. 
And it seems to me that the Lord doesn't intervene. And it seems to me that the Lord is actually quite tolerant of our own initiative, especially when it's intended to accomplish something which God has promised and when it seems reasonable to us. But remember this, God does desire that we use our intellect and we use our will in service to Him. But here's the situation. Now Abraham has a son, Ishmael, who is not the son that God was promising. And then the Lord clarifies something. Sarah herself will conceive and give birth to a son. And this son is the one that God was promising. And so we can say that Sarah and Abraham tried to use their human power to fulfill God's promise. That's what Galatians chapter 4 Verse 23 says, I like the New Living Translation. It captures the nuance of this very well. It says, Ishmael, the son of the slave wife Hagar, was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But Isaac, the son of Sarah, the freeborn wife, was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. But be careful, Mishpacha. Because God does not condemn Sarah or Abraham for this. They were still believing God would work. And in their own minds, they were convinced that God could work as Sarah had figured out. Have you ever convinced yourself of the way God's going to work? And so you do things. And then it turns out that you had fully persuaded yourself, but you were wrong. Anybody do that besides me? I'm not the only one here, folks. I think all of us can do that. God doesn't really condemn us for that. But we can learn something. It's not always clear when we're supposed to act and when we're supposed to wait on the Lord. And God, I think, cuts us some slack because of that. And he wants us to have a healthy tension because it forces us to consider both sides. Do I act in the power I now have, or do I wait for God to do something on his own without using my human power? And when we consider both sides, there's, there's one thing I believe we must do, and I use the word must very strongly and very intentionally. We must consult the Lord for further direction when we have questions. When you don't know whether to act or wait, consult the Lord. What do you do if you don't have a clear directive and you think you should act? Tell the Lord and say, I'm not sure what to do, so I've decided I'm going to act unless I hear otherwise from you. Or what if you feel like you should wait, but you're not sure? Go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm not exactly sure what to do, but I'm sensing I should wait, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wait unless I hear something from you. That's honest dialogue. Sometimes your spirit or your inner man or inner woman will sense that you should wait, and you can offer that to the Lord. Now, let's think about how God handles the situation. He doesn't condemn Sarah or Abraham. And as well, they're not disqualified from receiving the promised son, even though they have Ishmael. God is gracious. He keeps working with them. And then he clearly promises that Sarah 
Sarah, who is too old to get pregnant, Sarah. That one. She will be the mother of this promised son. God gives the son a name, Yitzchak Isaac, and tells Abraham and Sarah they will have a son together and when he will be born. And so just as God promised, Isaac is born, and the covenant continues. Hebrews 11, verse 11 says this, it was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. And so that's another reason why we can say, don't let the waiting time take the faith out of you. Now, here's a warning sign for us. When we think that God will not actually fulfill his promise, and then we think we still want it done, and we're going to have to take matters into our own hands, I think that's a, a dangerous combination of unbelief plus human striving. And it's quite different from thinking that God will fulfill his promise and he will do it when we take some appropriate action ourselves. So the second way of thinking is still hopeful and it's still faithful. And I really hope that's clear enough. If it isn't, let me know and I'll talk to you about it. So then this week, Parshat Chaye Sarah, when Sarah dies, Abraham knows he needs a burial place. And of course, God has promised all the land to Abraham and his descendants, and the Lord says, I will give it to you. But at this moment, Abraham has nothing. And so he doesn't get stuck. He has this sense that God will give it to him in God's own timing, in God's own way, and that that includes Abraham having to buy some land, to pay for land. He's a sojourner, he's an alien, he's a stranger, and then he enters into a serious Middle Eastern negotiation where Abraham ends up paying a pretty high price, maybe an exorbitant price, and he buys the land for the burial place, 400 shekels of silver, the price which the owner had named and the sale is recorded. Genesis 23, verses 19 and 20. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And so the field and the cave that is in it were deeded to Abraham by the sons of Chet as property for a burial place. When I was thinking of a good title for this message, one title I thought was pretty good, A Question of Faith, and I like that title. But the other title I was thinking of was this, Get a Receipt. Abraham got a receipt. He got the deed. And to this day, the land is recognized as Abraham's. So we're going to look at Genesis 25, verse 7. Last scripture to look at. This is how long Abraham lived, 175 years. And then Abraham breathed his last, dying at a ripe old age, an old man full of years. And he was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him 
in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, by Mamre, the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Chet. So Abraham was buried there later with Sarah. And to this day, the cave of Machpelah, the, in the modern city of Hebron, it's the undisputed burial place of Abraham and Sarah, of Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, Esau, and Leah. And so this week's Torah portion helps us take a stand against one of the big lies that's being uttered in these days. The lie that the Jewish people are newcomers who colonized Palestine. And we've read today, when Abraham bought the burial place for Sarah, he paid full price, he got a receipt, the deed was written, it was recorded, and that's a good thing because he passed on that burial place to his children and his grandchildren, and to this day, its location is well known. The title deed to the cave was part of the property that Abraham passed to his son Isaac. Isaac was buried there, as we heard earlier. Isaac's wife, Rebekah, was buried there, and others of the patriarchs too. Now here's an interesting point. Archaeologists have found a synagogue in the general region. It's not too far away. It's about 40 miles or so away. It dates to 503 in the common, area, common era. And you know where that synagogue is? In Gaza. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. The Jews have such a long history in that part of the world. And I want to encourage you, remember that when you hear the big lie that Jews in Israel are newcomers, they're foreigners from somewhere else. This is the homeland of the Jewish people. Never forget that. We're standing with Israel everywhere we stand. We stand with Israel. And we've been doing this for a long time. I, I want to show you a bumper sticker that Sandy made. It says, support Israel. She made 500 of these in 1978 when we lived in Roanoke, Virginia, uh, commemorating Israel's 30th birthday. She made more that just said, happy birthday, Israel. And I want to encourage you, stand with Israel, keep standing. Support Israel, keep supporting. And be strong, don't give up. Well, that's my message. And don't forget, get a receipt. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing right now. So would you please rise? And uh, thanks again to everyone who's standing with us as a congregation. Thanks for your faithful giving, your generosity, your cheerfulness, your consistency. Thanks to everyone who is participating in the special offerings above and beyond your ties for the Israel Emergency Fund. And if you want to find out how you can stand with us financially, go to our webpage, bethisraelnow.com giving 
for all the details. So we're going to close with Aaron's blessing and retired Commodore. You want, you want to? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, okay, I'll do it. Okay, this is, okay I'll do it. Yeah, you can. If you want to, you can. I can do it too. You can. We like each other. We take turns. Yeah, that was really Is this on? Ooh. This is on now. It's sort of on. Is it on? It is on. Okay. Well, if you'll please all close your eyes and let these words wash over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant each and every one of you his peace. Yivarechaka Adonai vayishmarecha Yair Adonai panavalcha v'yachunecha Isa Adonai Adonai panavalcha Vayasem lecha shamu. God bless you. Bless you. Shabbat shalom, everyone. Join us for a bagel loan egg next door.